My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And I want to thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. And I pray that uh, this program today will be a real blessing to you. It's going to be a little bit different than what we normally do in that I'm just in the studio today talking to you out of my heart. Normally what we do on the program is that we take a sermon that has been recently preached here in our church, and we edit that and get it to the right time restraints, and uh, then... That's our program. But uh, on today's program and for the next few programs, I want to talk to you about the Lord's Prayer. And before we even begin our study of the Lord's Prayer, I want to tell you why I'm doing this. First of all, I don't know how it is in your life, but I know in my life that when God has something that He wants to say to me, He says it over and over and over again. God seems to, at least in my life, He seems to get me the message of whatever it is I need to hear in a lot of different ways. Well, I would say a little over a year ago, I was reading some book, and in the particular book that I was reading, the author, who is a a, a godly man and a gifted pastor, he said that for years he and his wife had made it a habit to pray the Lord's Prayer together every morning at breakfast. And when I read that, I thought, well, now that's interesting. I didn't know that pastor did that, and uh, that, that was interesting to me. Well, it wasn't many days after that that I got something in the mail from another pastor talking about what a blessing the Lord's Prayer had been in his life. And he wrote a long article, and it was kind of like in a magazine, and he was talking about how the Lord's Prayer had really blessed his life. And I thought, isn't that interesting? I have just read two different pastors who have been greatly blessed, whose lives have been enriched by praying the Lord's Prayer. And it wasn't many days after that that I got something else from a ministry, a worldwide ministry that I follow. And I opened up the uh, letter, and inside there was something about the Lord's Prayer. And I thought, now, God, I have gotten three words here recently from three ministers about how the Lord's Prayer has been such a blessing in their lives. And so I began to think to myself, well, maybe I should start praying the Lord's Prayer too. If that's what these men are doing, maybe I should, maybe I should pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, don't get me wrong. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer that I have always uh, respected. I have always loved the Lord's Prayer. I guess when I was a child or a teenager, I memorized the Lord's Prayer, as so many of us have who've grown up in the church. And there have even been times in my life, I can remember when I was a kid, and we used to play football. I remember this in junior high. And after the games, whether we won or lost the game, our coach would have us to take a knee out there on the field, and we would pray the Lord's Prayer. We would recite the Lord's Prayer together. And I always thought it was a good way to, uh, to end the game, to end that time by praying the Lord's Prayer. And yet, as special as that was, and as right as that was, it, it seemed like for me, it was always in a setting like that, 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 we, that I would pray the Lord's Prayer, kind of a corporate setting, lots of people around, and we're all reciting the Lord's Prayer together. And I would say about a year or so ago, when I had these three encounters that I've just described, I began thinking, you know, I should start praying the Lord's Prayer privately. 
I should start praying the Lord's Prayer every day in my house before I leave the house and begin the day. And so I've been doing that now for well over a year, and it has been such a blessing to me that what I have done here in our church is started a series of sermons on the Lord's Prayer. And I just preached the first one, the one that I'm sharing with you today, uh, last week, and the sermon lasted about 45 minutes. And so as I began thinking about trying to edit that down for the radio, I thought, man, it's going to take three, two or three radio programs to get one sermon in. And so uh, we made the decision, Brent Shore and I, he's who helps me on these radio programs, we made the decision instead of editing the sermons for me just to sit down here in the studio and kind of give you the highlights as we study the Lord's Prayer phrase by phrase. And so if you have your Bible today, I would encourage you to open it to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter number six. It's interesting. We read the Lord's Prayer on two separate occasions in two different places in the New Testament. One place is in Matthew six, and the other place is in Luke chapter 11. Now in Luke chapter 11, we read about how one day Jesus, one of his disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And in answer to that request, Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer. In Luke chapter 11, the Lord's Prayer is condensed. It is a shorter prayer than we find in Matthew chapter 6. And so I want us to look at the Lord's Prayer as recorded in Matthew chapter 6 because it's the longest one of the two. It is the fullest one, and it's so comprehensive. And so I want that to be the focus of our study. Now, a couple of things that I would want to say about the Lord's Prayer before we even get into the opening line, which is what we're going to be looking at on today's program. First of all, we call it the Lord's Prayer. And it's okay for us to do that as long as we remember that this is not a prayer that the Lord ever prayed himself. Jesus never prayed the Lord's Prayer and the reason we know that is because there's a line in the Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the scripture says that Jesus never sinned. And so Jesus would never have asked God the Father to forgive him of his sins or of his debts because he didn't have any. And so the Lord's Prayer is not a prayer that Jesus prayed. It is a prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples. And so some people, for that reason, say we should call this prayer the disciples' prayer. Well, I certainly understand the spirit that those scholars and theologians and even some pastors would say that. I don't have any problem calling this prayer the disciples' prayer. And yet, I don't have any problem calling it the Lord's prayer either, as long as we remember that it's a prayer the Lord gave us to pray, not a prayer that he prayed himself. And so actually, for that reason, personally, I prefer to call it the Lord's Prayer. Now, we find it in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Now, anytime we're studying a, a verse of Scripture or even a portion of Scripture like we're finding here in the Lord's Prayer, I think it's always a good idea to study the greater context so that we understand you know, what's going on before this verse or what's going on before this passage of Scripture and what's going on after it? What is the context by which God's Word or in which God's Word is addressing this particular topic? Now, Matthew chapter 6, of course, is part of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus preached uh, this sermon, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in the sermon, he addressed a lot of different topics. I mean, 
almost every imaginable topic is addressed in the Sermon on the Mount. And one of those topics is prayer. And so in the context of Jesus's discussion on prayer, he gives us the Lord's Prayer. Now, I want to begin reading in verse number 5. If you have your Bible, or if not, you can just listen. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 5. Listen to what Jesus said about, about prayer. He said, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray... Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And so this is the greater context. This is the teaching. These are the principles that Jesus is laying down on prayer before he ever gives us the Lord's Prayer. And from those verses that I just read, there are four things that just pop up off the pages of Scripture that are so very clear in my mind. First of all, Jesus said prayer should be sincere. Prayer should be sincere. Jesus was very critical of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who loved to pray in the synagogues, who loved to pray when everybody was watching, and who loved to use big, flowery words and try to impress everybody with how spiritual they were. Jesus said, these people are not spiritual at all. They're hypocrites. They're phonies. They're pretenders. The only reason they're praying these prayers are to try to impress others. And Jesus said, when you pray, don't do it that way. Don't try to impress others. Now, Jesus was not saying that it was wrong or that it is wrong to pray corporate public prayers. Not at all. There are other places in the Bible where we find people praying public prayers, and it's certainly uh, the right thing to do if it's done the right way. And so what Jesus is saying is when you pray, make sure that your heart is right. Make sure that you're sincere, that it's between you and God, that even if you're praying in a public setting, you're not praying to impress those who are listening. You're praying to touch the heart of God. You're praying to know the mind of God. You're praying to pour your heart out to God and that you're praying with sincerity. Now, not only did Jesus say that our prayer should be sincere, but he also taught that prayer should be done in secret. He talked about going into your room and closing the door. And so much of our prayer, in fact, most of our prayer should be done behind closed doors when nobody else is there, nobody else is watching, nobody there is listening. I like to say it this way. There should be more of our spiritual lives behind the counter than is on display. In other words, there should be more to your relationship with God than, uh, than others can see. And that is that personal, private part that is your prayer life. And it's done in the secret place, in your home or in your study or in your car or on your back porch or somewhere where you're alone with God. And then Jesus made it clear that our praying should not only be sincere and done in secret, but that our praying should be simple. We don't have to use big words. We don't have to try to impress God or certainly shouldn't try to impress anybody else. He talked about we don't need to use vain repetitions when we pray. And this is very important for us to remember, even in our study of the Lord's Prayer. We don't want to just memorize the prayer and then mindlessly quote it uh, from memory by rote. No, we want the prayer to mean something. In other words, if you memorize the Lord's Prayer and you say, okay, I'm going to start praying the Lord's Prayer— And so every morning you get up 
and just you know, with your mind half engaged, you say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you pray this prayer like that, let me just say, it's not going to mean anything to you, and it's not going to mean anything to God. Because to do that would be to be guilty of what Jesus has taught in the preceding verses where he said, don't use vain repetitions. And so even with the Lord's Prayer, we don't want it to be a vain repetition. The prayer itself, in fact, in verse 9 of Matthew 6, Jesus said, in this manner, therefore, pray. So Jesus was not saying, when you pray, you have to use these exact words. He wasn't saying, what you need to do is memorize this and every morning recite this back to me. No, what he was saying was, let this be a guide. Let this be an outline in prayer. Now, that raises the question, is it wrong to pray the Lord's Prayer word for word? I don't think it's wrong at all. In fact, I think it can be right. I think it can be a good thing to do that as long as we're not just using vain repetition, as long as we're not just saying the words mindlessly and thoughtlessly, but we want them to mean something to us and we want them to mean something to God. And so we don't want to just pray uh, hypocritically and vain repetition. We want our prayers to be simple and from the heart. And then our praying, I would say this. Now think about what we've said so far. Our prayers should be sincere. They should be done in secret. Most of them should. They should be simple. And then they should be structured and they should be somewhat systematic or they should be organized. Now for me, I don't think we want to over-organize our prayer life because so much of my praying is done spontaneously and, you know, just as I go through the day and something comes into my heart or on my mind or I'm in a situation, I pray and just say, now God help me here, open a door here, work this situation out. And that's how we should pray. But part of our prayer life should be a little bit more structured than that. We should have some organized way that we pray for ourselves, that we pray for our families, that we pray for our friends, that we pray for those who are sick that we pray for our country, for our city, for our state, for our world. And so we need some kind of a prayer journal, at least I do, to kind of keep me uh, praying for things and people that I probably would neglect to pray for if I didn't have a little discipline. Now, it's interesting, in the Lord's Prayer, there are six different requests. And you could divide those six different requests into two different categories. First, The first three have to do with the glory of God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. In the second category of praying, Jesus said we should pray, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation. And so in this part of the prayer, Jesus was saying you pray for God's provision, that God would give you what you need. You pray for God's pardon, that God would forgive your sins and you pray for God's protection on your life that he would watch over you and, and, and lead you away from temptation and lead you in the way that you should go. So in the upcoming programs, we're going to be dealing with each one of these phrases one by one so that hopefully at the end of the study, at the end of our time together, we would have learned what all these phrases mean so that we then, when we then pray the Lord's Prayer, we can pray it in such a way that it would mean something and it would be from our heart. Now, on the program today, what I want us to do in our remaining time is to focus on the first line of the Lord's Prayer. The first line of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus gave us these four words, Our Father 
in heaven. Our Father in heaven. That's all we're going to be thinking about for the rest of the program today. Jesus said, when you begin your praying, you need to start out by praying our Father in heaven. Now, let's see if we can't uh, squeeze as much information out of that as is possible. The first thing I would draw your attention to is that little prepositional phrase, in heaven. Our Father in heaven, that's where God lives. God lives in heaven. Yes, he's in our heart. Yes, he's involved in our lives. But God actually lives in heaven. Heaven is God's home. And so every morning when we begin to pray and when we say our Father in heaven, it reminds us that God is above us that God is above the problems and the difficulties and the challenges that we face in life. God is seated in the heavens, and God is very much in control. I've often heard my father say in, in his preaching that as we live our lives and we watch things unfold in life, it's kind of like a parade. And it's kind of like we're down on the curb, and we're watching that parade come by one float at a time. And from our vantage point, from our perspective on the curb, we can only see part of the parade. And so sometimes we go through something in life and it doesn't make sense. We say, God, why would you have allowed me to go through this? Well, the reason we say that is from our perspective, it doesn't make sense. But if we could see it from God's perspective, way up above, it's kind of like God's up on the 10th floor. In fact, God's way above the 10th floor. And from God's perspective, he can see the entire parade from beginning to end all at one time. And so sometimes we go through things that don't make sense to us, but they make sense to God. And so when we pray every day and we say, Our Father in heaven, it reminds us that God is above us, that God is bigger than the problems and challenges and sometimes the sicknesses and and uh, all the different things we sometimes face in life. God's bigger than that, and he's very much in control. And sometimes things that are intimidating to us on the ground level are not intimidating to God at all from where he sits up in heaven. He's on his throne, the Bible says, and he, his sovereignty rules or reigns over all. And so he is our Father who sits in heaven. But the main word in this first line of the Lord's Prayer is the word Father. Father. Jesus said when you pray, you're talking to your heavenly Father. That is, if you're saved, if you've been born again, you're talking to your heavenly Father. Now, sometimes you'll hear somebody talking and talking about God, and they'll say, they'll use a phrase like this. They'll say, you know, I just believe in the universal fatherhood of God. Now, what does that even mean? Well, a person means by the universal fatherhood of God that God is the Father of us all, that it doesn't matter what our faith is or what our background is, that God is, after all, our Father. And, and it sounds so good to say that. It sounds so inclusive, and it just sounds, everything about it sounds good. The only problem is it's wrong. It's inaccurate. It's not according to the Scriptures. God is not the Father of us all. God is only the Father of those of us who have been born into His family. Now, I believe in the, uh, in the fact that God has created us all. He's the creator of us all. We've all been made in God's image, whether a person is saved or not, whether a person is Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, or something else, or even if a person's an atheist, doesn't even believe in God. That doesn't change the fact that God created that person. That person has been made in the image of God and that we should love them unconditionally. We should love everybody unconditionally. But it doesn't mean that God is the father of everybody because he's not. He's only the father of those of us who've been born into his family, which leads me to say that the word father is a family word. It's a family word. 
and we have to be a part of God's family to use that word father. And not only is it a family word, but the word father is a word of respect. We respect our fathers who have taken care of us, who have provided for us, who have met our needs, who have done so much for us. And I know in my life, I've been blessed to have a father who's done all those things and more. I know that some are listening today. You didn't have a father like that. Maybe you had a, an absentee father. Maybe you had a father who was unfaithful to your mother. Maybe you have had a father who spent money on alcohol and other things and drugs instead of providing for your food and clothing and your basic needs. And so when, when, you think, when you hear that word father, it immediately has a negative connotation to you and you just automatically project all those negative things onto God, the heavenly father. And you, you have a hard time relating to God as your father because uh, of your father has kind of messed up the whole imagery there. You know, my heart goes out to so many who are in that situation. But I would encourage you today, instead of projecting all those negative things onto the Heavenly Father, why don't you project the, the opposite of, the, of your earthly father's qualities? In other words, if your earthly father was unfaithful, why don't you focus on the fact that the Heavenly Father is faithful? If your uh, earthly father was impatient and harsh and demanding on you, why don't you focus on the fact that the heavenly father is not that way at all? He's loving and he's kind and he's patient. If your earthly father failed to meet your needs and to provide for you as he should have, focus on the fact that the heavenly father has promised to meet all of our needs in Christ Jesus. And so whatever negative images you may have of your earthly father, reverse that around and portray the positive of that, the opposite of that, onto the Heavenly Father. And that's why I can say the word, of fa the word Father is a word of respect. And then it's a word of, de of dependence. When we talk about the Father, it's a picture of a child going up to his or her father with his hand stretched out saying, Dad, I need lunch money. Dad, I need a new pair of shoes. Dad, I'm afraid. Dad, it's bad weather. Dad, protect me. Dad, help me. And that's how we are with the Heavenly Father. So it is a word of our total dependence on God. And so when you pray our Father in heaven, the in heaven part talks about the fact that God's very much in control and he's very powerful. The Father part talks about the fact that God is very close by. He's very near. He's very concerned with everything that we face. And then that pronoun, our, at the very first of this line, our Father in heaven. What does that mean? It stresses the fact that when we're saved, when we are brought into the family of God, when we're born again, not only does God become our Father, but in that moment we receive millions of brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. Jesus could have said, when you pray, pray in this manner, my Father in heaven. After all, it would be accurate to pray like that. It would certainly be nothing wrong. There would be nothing wrong with me saying to God, my Father in heaven. He is my Father. But Jesus said, don't say my, say our. Because when you say our, it's a reminder to you that you are part of a greater family. You know what I've noticed in my life? When I pray our Father in heaven, it keeps me from being so selfish in my praying. It keeps me from saying, God, give me what I think I need. And it helps me to pray, God, give me what you know I need and give me, God, what would be best for me, but also what would be best for my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I'm not asking you to do anything for me that would ever hurt or harm anybody else. And so we don't want to be selfish in our praying. And so we pray our Father in heaven. And so let me just ask you today at the conclusion of our program, can you honestly pray the opening line of the Lord's Prayer? 
Can you pray our Father in heaven? And if you can't, would you just pray this prayer? What you need to do right now is take the words our Father out and put in the two words dear God. Just pray this, dear God in heaven. Forgive my sins based on Jesus' death on the cross. Come into my heart and make me a Christian. By faith I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. In His name I pray. Amen. Friend, if you have just prayed that prayer, now you can put those two words, Our Father, back in your praying. And now you can say, Our Father in heaven. God has become your Father. You have become His child. Thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. I hope you'll have a great week out there, and we will look forward to being with you next time.